Well, good morning. Did you have a good Labor Day weekend? Want to have a good time? We spent our Labor Day weekend deep cleaning our house, so that was super exciting, life-giving, joyful. Um, we are going to head today to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, so I do invite you to turn there uh, in the Bible. Verses will also be up on the screen. Uh, and as we turn there, let's just take a moment to kind of center ourselves and open our hearts to receive whatever it is that God wants to say to us this morning. What would you speak to us through your word? Amen. So I wonder if you have ever felt the pain or the disappointment of not being invited. Now, I I know this is probably going to shock most of you, but when I was in school, I was not one of the popular kids. I know, it's surprising. I didn't usually get invited to things, to parties. I spent a lot of time feeling left out. But there was one invitation that I always longed for. Our next-door neighbors built this above-ground pool. It was the kind that had the kind of the loud, clanky deck that went all the way around it, and there was a wall so you couldn't see in it, but I could hear them. And I would know they were in there by the clacking of their feet. They would jump in the splash, and I longed for the day that I would get invited to swim in the pool. And every once in a while, the invitation came from the kids next door, probably because their mom made them. But I got to go nonetheless. But there's, there's just something about receiving a genuine invitation. Not one out of obligation, not one in which we whisper in the quiet corners of our mind, do we really have to invite them? Now, see, when you... When you receive an authentic invitation, what the invitee is saying to you is you're wanted, you belong, you matter to us. The whole ministry of of Jesus, essentially, was formed around an invitation. When you flip through Matthew's gospel, at the very beginning, we have the story of the birth of Jesus, this miraculous event in which the virgin becomes pregnant and delivers to the world the Son of God, and there are angels singing, there's a manger, there's wise men. We call that celebration Christmas, which ironically is 105 days away, get ready. From there, we read of Jesus going into the wilderness, in which he is baptized by John the Baptist. Another miraculous event happens. A a dove comes down, lands on Jesus, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And from there, Jesus goes to the desert where he spends 40 days fasting and wrestling and has this conflict with the devil. And when he emerges from the desert, he brings this world-shaking message. It's a simple message that permeated everything he did and everything he taught. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That phrase, 
kingdom of heaven, in some places it's the kingdom of God. That, that phrase is used 126 times in the Gospels alone. It was the starting point of Jesus' ministry. From that time on, this was the message that he preached. It was one that now echoes through 2,000 years of history and lands right here with us this morning. And see, contained within that, that simple message is an invitation. You're all invited. Now, in the Bible, primarily, Jesus would say he was called to the lost sheep of Israel, the the Jews. But whenever he encountered a Gentile or a non-Jew, the invitation remained the same. In the Bible, most preaching happened in synagogues. But Jesus, Jesus took it into the streets. He took it into the communities. He preached on, on hillsides. And he began his message with a very unpopular word. Repent. It's a word we don't like to hear, really. It's got a lot of negativity associated with it. So since Jesus began his message with this word, I suppose Jesus' invitation is not just a casual invitation. It's not, come on in if you feel like it or if it's, if it's convenient. It's a bit more weighty than that because there's an eternal tone to what Jesus is saying. So the word repent in many ways is a, is a confrontational word. We don't like to be confronted, really. We want to live unconfronted lives because when we are confronted, like something happens to us. Have you ever been confronted? Like what happens? Your heart rate goes up. You start, maybe you clench your fists. You start to sweat. I was at a gas station. Filled up my car. Put my debit card in. Filled my tank. Got back in the car driveway. And the gas station attendant chased me down. Knocked on my window. I rolled on the window and said, are you going to pay for your gas? I said, I did pay for my gas. No, you didn't. You didn't pay for your gas. I said, yes, I did. I used my debit card. You didn't use your debit card. So then I reached into my pocket and produced the receipt. And he looked at me and said, oh, and walked away. But I was still so mad. Like the blood pressure was up and I just drove away. It wrecked my whole day. I was so irritated that someone dared confront me especially concerning something I did not do. See, when Jesus used the word repent, it was a little bit of a confrontational word, not a threatening word, but confronting our reality and offering something better. See, the word repent means to change, to change directions, to change your mind, to change your actions. See, within that is a challenge to let all of who Jesus is saturate all of who we are. See, the, the natural response to the invitation of repent is like I'm all in. Now, I'm, I'm naturally hesitant about a lot of things. It, it takes a lot for me to say I'm all in. Like when I go places, it doesn't matter where it is, I like to sit in the back because I don't want to be all in. I want to make sure there's, I got an exit strategy. So for those of you sitting in the back, you're my people, because that's right, that's where I want to be. Being all in is a big commitment for me. But there was a day in 1991 in which I said, you know what, I'm all in. God, I'm giving it all to you. This is good news. It's changing everything. I'm in. I give my life to this thing. Though it's not always popular, and it's certainly not always convenient. The first time... I was ever given the opportunity to preach a sermon. 
It was in Missouri. I was in college, and I got invited by a church to come give a sermon. It was an evening, and it was the first one I'd ever give. I was so nervous, but I was gonna, I was gonna speak on the good news of the gospel, and it was gonna change people's lives. There were gonna be people waiting outside the church to come in and hear my wisdom. It was gonna be so good. I spent so long preparing this sermon. Showed up when to the church, and when it was time for the service to start, nobody showed up. Not one, not even the pastor of the church, which that was a strike to the ego. I mean, really made me think about my career decision for a moment. Not one person showed up. I wonder what inhibits us from showing up. And I don't mean church. I don't mean. Bible study. I mean, what, what inhibits us from truly showing up to God's invitation? I mean, what's, what's more important than the soul? What activity, what commitment, what event is more important than the soul? Because see, what Jesus offered is good news for the soul, and everyone's invited. Those of us that walk around with our shoulders slumped, Dragging our feet because we carry shame like an overstuffed backpack. The invitation's for you. But the invitation's also for those of you that hold your head up high. Because life has been as rewarding as someone paying for you in the Starbucks line. Life is good. Nothing could be better. And yet there's that nagging feeling like a pebble in your shoe that something is not quite right. See, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew humanity. He knew that people, by our very nature, are sinners. That's why he said to repent. It's another word we don't like, sinner. It just means to miss the mark, to fail. We all fail, right? We all do things that we regret. Last week, I went to get the mail at our house, and I pulled the mail out of the mailbox, and there was this letter from my wife, and I looked at it, and I said, oh, this is going to be good. So I walked inside, and I said, honey, you got a really important letter in the mail. I need you to treat this like this isn't really important. And I handed it to her, and she looked at it. It was from AARP. Oh, it was was so good. Although she didn't think it was as funny as I did. So I... I had to repent because I, I missed the mark. The word repent simply means to turn away from those things that hinder God's best for us, that mess with our soul, that in the end hurt us, and turn towards those things, that promise of life that Jesus offered. He said, Jesus said, listen, the kingdom of God is here right now. Now the word kingdom is interesting because we don't, like we don't live in a kingdom, we don't, truly understand a kingdom. I mean, we have a country because we wanted to get away from a kingdom, right? But in the Bible, in the Bible, the kingdom is like what God wants to happen, happens. See, when we think of God's kingdom, we often think of some place we go after we die, like, like heaven, which we'll get to that in, in a minute, but it's, it's not just that. Because if that's all it is, then we have what the philosopher Dallas Willard said, simply a gospel of sin management, doing whatever we have to do, at least in its minimal form, to stay out of hell. That falls so short of what Jesus offered. 
See, what Jesus was saying, there's a rule, there's a way. You and I, we all have a kingdom or a queendom, every single one of us. It's where what we want to happen, happens. Last week, I was up in Green Bay visiting my daughter at college, and we went out to dinner, and she wanted to go to this Mongolian barbecue place called Hoo Hot. Never been there before. So I walked in, and uh, there's just like rows of raw food, like raw meat, raw vegetables. I'm like, what the? So get the plate. You just put on whatever you want, whatever, anything you want, any combination, and you walk up, and then the guy cooks it for you, and it's your own creation. On your plate is your kingdom come to life. (laughs) See, what Jesus was talking about is God's dynamic and sovereign presence is amongst us. It's here right now. Now, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people had a very deep conviction about what the kingdom of God was. See, in the Old Testament, there was this emphasis on God's kingdom as this this spiritual, divine, everlasting, universal kingdom that we will all inherit in eternity. But by the time Jesus walked the earth, the Jewish people had come to expect a Messiah who would usher in an earthly kingdom, rule over all the people of the earth through Israel, and require all the inhabitants of the earth to become Israelites and take upon themselves the full burden of the Jewish law. And they lost the significance of what the kingdom of God was. And Jesus said, you guys have missed it. You've created some kind of distorted political concept and that is not what this is about. It's about the fulfillment of God's will and the plan of salvation in all of its fullness. And this kingdom that Jesus talked about It's a dichotomy because it's already, but it's not yet. Jesus said it's it's come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's right now. It's not something to be accepted now and enjoyed later. God is accessible right now, and we have the opportunity to step into this amazing grace. And so when I submit myself to God's way, to God's ethic, his way of being in the world, That's the kingdom. When I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, those are kingdom prayers. When I share my life in Jesus' name, when I feed the poor, when I pray for my enemy in Jesus' name, I'm building God's kingdom. But it doesn't stop there because it's also eternal. It goes on forever. Now, when I'm in casual conversation, the topic of death rarely comes up. Because no one really wants to talk about it. I mean, death is something that's going to happen way in the future and probably to somebody else. Like, it's, And yet, death isn't a wall. It's not an end. Death isn't a wall. It's a door. And it's the one door we all walk through. If there's one thing we all have in common, it's that we're going to walk through that door. The Bhutanese people have a, a folk saying that goes like this. To be happy... A person must contemplate death five times a day, which, which, which is a bit weird. But, but what the, they're saying is like there's, there's something about the afterlife that we can't completely put out of our mind. You know, churches used to have cemeteries on their property, which really is a novel idea. And not that I want to get into the cemetery business, but, but there was something about walking into a church and having to walk past the cemetery 
maybe as a reminder that this life is not all there is. I mean, we do a great job preparing for life, but what about preparing for death? And I don't just mean funeral costs and what song is going to be sung and where you're going to be buried. I'm talking about, like, what if we, instead of thought about what we're going to be doing three weeks from now, what if we occasionally thought about what we'll be doing 300 years from now or 3,000 years from now or 30,000 years from now? There's a line in that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, that goes like this. When we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Every day is like the first day. It's like, you know, when you go on vacation and you're halfway through and you thought, oh, there's only four more days left and you like, you don't want it to end, but it's going to end. See, in the kingdom, there is no end. Every day is the first day. In the book of Revelation, which is the very last book of the Bible, hard to understand, sometimes controversial and misused, we do get this incredible picture of what the kingdom of God in eternity looks like. The Apostle John is writing and he says in chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now amongst the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let me come to verse 8, which gets a little dark and scary. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, or, or immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death. We all walk through this door. Everything is going to be recreated. Everything is going to be new. I, I don't want us to think about Little fat angels playing harp sitting on clouds. That's not heaven. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes this new reality in which everything is in vivid color. There's no pain. There's no tears. And yet we get distracted. I get distracted from the kingdom of God by all the cares of the world. John Eldridge, who's an author, speaks of three levels of being as humans. He describes them as the shallows, the midlands, and the depths. The shallows he describes as the, the place of the, the trivial concerns of the world. 
the fleeting thoughts that consume our mind. Is my fantasy team going to win this week? I got into a fight again with someone on the internet. I'm offended at what that person said. All these things that we shouldn't care about what we do, we follow the Hollywood magazines and all this stuff that doesn't really matter, but we spend so much time in the shallows. The second level he describes as the Midlands. It's the, the longings, the hopes, the dreams, the cares of this world. It's the place where we're concerned about aging parents. It's the place where we're concerned about job security. It's, it's the place where we deal with our mortgage and our loans. It's the place where we try so hard to be something that we're actually not. It's the, the place where we try to relive the glory days by living vicariously through our children. It's this place of kind of important, but not eternally. But then he describes this being called the depths. It's the essence of your existence. It's the dwelling place of God in the human soul. The the depths are characterized by eternal things, like faith, hope, love, and joy. We all have a deep inner life, whether we pay attention to it or not. It's, It's there. And that is the place where we find the kingdom of God. I mean, if we actually lived the message of Jesus, the kingdom of God, we would actually become the solution to the very things we're concerned about. But we stay stuck in the shallows. See, my, my passion and my calling can be summarized by the words of the Apostle Paul to the Galatian church. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he writes, My dear children, For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The the Apostle Paul so badly wanted his followers to be formed into the image and likeness of Christ that it, it pained him. It agonized him. See, when I, when I went into ministry, I, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to see Christ formed in people. I wanted to, to share this incredible experience that I had, yet when I was in seminary, what they forgot to tell me about, they forgot to tell me about budgets. They forgot to tell me about board meetings. They forgot to teach me about HVAC and heating and cooling in the sanctuary. They, they forgot to tell me about lawn maintenance. They forgot to tell me about how to manage a staff. They forgot to tell me how to deal with all kinds of things and people. They forgot to tell me how to truly be with someone as their loved one took their last breath. They forgot to tell me how to deal with the person that says the sanctuary's too hot or the sanctuary's too cold. They forgot to tell me how to deal with the, the coffee's too strong, the coffee's not strong enough. They forgot to tell me about the music's too loud, it's not loud enough. They forgot to tell me you need to preach about this issue and preach about it hard. No, you need to preach about I forgot to tell about all that stuff. And I'm once again reminded by the Apostle Paul, I put all that aside, and I just, I want to do well, but I just don't really care. What I care about is Christ being formed in you. What I care about is seeing God's kingdom expressed through us. Yes, some of those things are important. 
Most of them aren't. Not eternally. See, there's an astonishing thing that God is doing. And it's so much bigger than any of us. And yet we get to be a part. And it begins with Jesus' message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There's this this old practice. Some churches used to call it an altar call. Um, The practice was actually uh, introduced by Charles Finney in the 1800s, Charles Finney was a traveling evangelist. He would set up tent meetings all over the country, and he would set up benches in his tent, and he would preach a sermon. And then when his sermon was over, he would invite those that wanted to accept Christ in their life to come to the front and sit on a row of benches he called the anxious bench, because it was the place where people were anxious for their souls. Well, this morning, I, I want to challenge you to make an altar right where you are. I'm, I don't have an anxious bench set up. I'm not going to make you get up out of your seat, but, but right where you are in your chair, let that become an altar. An altar is a place of offering and sacrifice. And as you, as you sit there, it's your own personal altar before God. Maybe there's some that, I don't know, maybe you've never actually responded to Jesus' invitation. Maybe because you found Christians offensive or there's things in the Bible you don't like. I don't, I don't know. But Jesus in another beginning is, is, is turn from those things that are killing you because I'm, I'm here right now. The kingdom of God has come. For others of us, as you sit at your altar, maybe you've been coming to church for 50 years. You've gone to Bible studies, you read the Bible, but if you're honest, like if you're really honest, you're not really living the values of the kingdom. At least not his kingdom. Maybe you're living the values of your kingdom, but not his. So that same, that same invitation of Jesus is extended to all of us. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so God, I... Uh, I'm the first one to say, Lord, I, I repent of not living each day the values of the kingdom of God. There are so many times I've missed the mark, and yet over and over and over and over you keep inviting me back in. Tell me I've never, you've never really gone anywhere. You've always been here. And so if we've missed the mark, would you help us? Help us to be the expression of your kingdom on earth. Lord, our prayer is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.